warn you, today's sermon is not Proverbs 31, which is what you're supposed to do on Mother's Day, right? Talk about the excellent wife who can find, you know, she's more rare than the, you know, more precious stones. You know, uh, we like to do those types of sermons on Mother's Day. And we are going to talk about moms. We're going to talk with a passage that if you're a mom, you're going to think, why are you talking about this passage today, buddy? But it's important that we talk about it. Because it does remind us about mothers. We're going to be looking at Titus chapter 2, verse 5. So if you get out your Bibles this morning, uh, turn to Titus chapter 2, verse 5. And we want to escape some of the cliches that we sometimes have on Mother's Day. Uh, we're supposed to talk about how wonderful mom is. And that's true, and I think we're going to find out from Titus chapter 2 and 5, uh, that, or 2 and verse 4, uh, that mom is wonderful, uh, but sometimes we think mom is wonderful by nature. Sometimes we might think mom is, is wonderful because she was nurtured to be. But what we find out from Titus chapter 2 verse 4 is that sometimes it's tough being mom. And sometimes we're the reason why <laughs> it's tough being mom. So we want to look at this passage today. We want to think about uh, the toughness of being mom. We want to look at what Paul commands to Titus in Titus chapter 2 verse 4. We want to consider an Old Testament example and then we want to think about our response to mom. So if you have your Bibles, you've already turned to Titus chapter 2. Uh, remember this is Paul as he's writing Titus, uh, telling Titus what he needs to teach on the island of Crete there. Uh, and he talks, he begins a section here in chapter 2 where he starts to talk about how different demographics of the church need to be taught, how they need to apply scripture to them. And so he says in Titus chapter 2 verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children. And then verse 5 is really the fun one for today, right? Uh, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. What I want us to focus in this morning is on verse 4. Paul is talking to these older Christian women, or he's telling uh, Titus to talk to these older Christian women, and he says, I, I want you to instruct these older Christian women uh, that they need to teach younger women to do certain things. The New American Standard says to encourage these younger women. The word for encourage there means more than just say, yeah, you can do it, go out and you know, do a great job. It, it's a word that in the Greek means to teach someone to come back to their senses or to be disciplined, or to be trained, or to be exhorted. So it's a stronger word than just encourage someone. Right? We all know what it is to, to encourage. You go to the football game, you go to the basketball game, you go to the baseball game, uh, and you, you cheer on your team and you say, you rah, rah, you can do it. right? And we understand that. But this implies something else. That's a little bit more than just saying rah, rah, you can do it. But it's the idea of uh, uh, someone that's experienced something and has done it to be able to say, you know, this is really what you ought to be doing. That sort of encouragement. And it's a focused encouragement. 
But then Paul uses a couple terms that are unique in the Greek New Testament to say what they ought to encourage them to do. And again, our focus this morning is on verse 4. And, and he says, first of all, to love their own husbands or to love their husbands. And that's a compound word in the Greek New Testament. It begins with the phileo love root word. Okay, so if you've been around the church, you've heard preachers get up and they talk about agape love. You know, that's that self-sacrificing love. And then you have phileo love. That's the, the root word for our city, Philadelphia, right? Which means Philadelphia really means brotherly love or love of a brother. Well, here he uses a compound word that has phileo as its root with the husband tied to it. That word phileo. Edel, in his Theological Dictionary in the New Testament, says that many times in the New Testament, this word is used almost interchangeably with agapo, or agape love. Agapo is the verb form of the word, uh, which is that self-sacrificing love. There is a, a, an overlap of those two terms, but there is a distinction there, too. And the distinction is the idea that, that you do something almost because it is part of a role, or part of a responsibility, or part of a, an obligation. In fact, it goes on to say, it's something you would not do otherwise. And it's also oftentimes tied to a relationship of some sort. We understand Philadelphia, love your brother, brotherly love. You love your brother in a certain way. Well, here he says to love your husband. And then he says, in the same way, using the same a similar compound, to love your children. And again, phileo, your children. Now, Kettle, again, in his dictionary, uh, talks about the idea that the distinction between agape love and phileo love is, is sometimes kind of like uh, the difference between what we think of love and liking. In other words, when Paul is talking to Titus, he says, I want you to teach these older women to encourage the younger women to like their kids and their husbands. Because they got it. Because it's an obligation. Because it's a responsibility. Now, on the one hand, that may sound like a negative to us in terms of a Mother's Day discussion, right? A Mother's Day sermon. But I want you to think about it from the reverse angle. Because we think we're all good. We think we are the greatest that's ever walked the face of the earth, right? My mom has to love me because I am so great. Well, let me tell you something. Sometimes you are not very likable, right? Sometimes I am not very likable, right? So what do you do with someone that you just want to strangle, right? You need to be tied sometimes. How do you like that person? When you've told them a billion times, make your bed when you get out of it, get out of it in the morning. Right? How do you like someone when you have to tell them 20 million times, right? Would you put your dishes in the sink or on the kitchen counter when you're done or rinse them off or whatever, you know, your process is at your house? Sometimes that's not very likable. Sometimes we're not very likable as kids. Sometimes we're not very likable as husbands. And sometimes we think, when we think of our mothers, oh, well, she has to be perfect. No, she doesn't. A woman isn't just born to be perfect. They have decisions to make. They have uh, lives, lives to live. 
And sometimes it's hard to learn how do you treat someone? How do you uh, raise a, a child when that child sometimes is not very likable? When that child sometimes is difficult? You know, as I get closer and closer to having kids that are in the teenage years, I'm starting to figure out why God, or I'm speculating, why God makes the teenage years and makes teenagers so obnoxious, and that's so that it's very much easier to kick them out when they turn 18, right? I mean, when they're little tiny guys, right, uh, like, like Stella or Wesley, or, you know, uh, or, or some, of, some of our other little ones, you know, they're cute, they're cuddly or whatever, you know, you're not going to throw them out. But when they're 18, it's like, let me open the door for you. Can I get that in the car for you? But you see, as we think about mothers and we look at this passage, it reminds us that, hey, you know what? Sometimes we're difficult to work with. And Paul's telling these older Christian women, he says, teach these younger women how to deal with these men, how to deal with these kids. And it's not always so easy. When we think about our mothers, of all the things that they've had to put up with since we've been around, it's not an easy task. Now, there's another part of this, and that is the idea that mom is doing something that she would not otherwise do. Remember, part of that phileo word carries the idea of not necessarily the same level of self-sacrifice as agape love, but it still carries with it that idea of doing something that you would not otherwise do. And doesn't that describe mom? Mom would not necessarily otherwise get up and make breakfast every morning. Mom might want to sleep in. Uh, you know, uh, mom may not always go around picking up trash off the floor or cleaning up after us when we get sick. Right? That's not something that we normally do with other people. But we do for our kids. Mom does for her kids. Mom's willing to sit there with you while you're sick and doing all sort of nasty things with your body because you're sick. Mom does that when she otherwise wouldn't. Mom puts up with us when we're boo-hooing because something bad happens in our life like we didn't make first place this year in something. When she otherwise wouldn't, she might just say, would you just toughen up and get out of here? Quit messing with me. I got other things to do. But you see, she does because she's mom. And she's practicing that phileo love with dad or with, with the kids. And sometimes that's tough to do. Paul says sometimes there are some younger women uh, that haven't experienced that. They don't know how do you do that. And so Paul says teach those older women or encourage, tell those older women to help teach those younger women this is how you do that. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes you just really want to let that guy have it. But you can't do that. Here's how you deal with those obnoxious kids. It's important that we do that. You know, you think back to your own childhood. I, I, I pray that everyone in this room had good parents. You know, there are some folks that didn't. Or there are some folks that had good parents, but because of whatever was happening in life, uh, that parent wasn't always there. We learn from our parents. Our parents model for us. Sometimes we have good models. Sometimes we don't have good models. And sometimes we have models that, for whatever reason, weren't able to model for us like they should. And so you have to work through those things. You have to figure out, well, how am I going to parent? What do I... How do I do that? And so sometimes mom, and mom has a tough job. And so that's what Paul's encouraging the Christians to do. 
and he's telling them how to love your children, how to love your, your husband. And again, that's not just an easy thing to do. There is an example of, in the Old Testament. There's not a lot about moms in the Bible. And sometimes we, we might scratch our head and say, well, why is it? Why is it that the Scripture doesn't talk a lot about moms? Well, think about what the Bible is all about. The Bible is about the history of Israel and Israel being the, 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 the facility through which God would bring the Messiah into the world to take away our sins. And so the Bible is really telling the story about the history of Israel fulfilling God's promise to bring this Messiah and who's going to take away the sins of the world. And so it touches on some things about different aspects of life, but that's not a real big focus. We don't see a lot about it, but we do see some examples of mothers. Why don't you turn over to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. And there's actually a couple different stories about some moms uh, here, but we're going to start in verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. And notice, first of all, that we're introduced to a woman that's a prominent woman. So she's a wealthy woman. Uh, and, uh, she, but she's a Gentile. She's not a Jewish woman. And Elisha the prophet oftentimes passes by her house. Notice the setup here. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. It says, now, now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunem, where there was a prominent woman, and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in to eat food there. She said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Please let us uh, make a little walled upper chamber, and let us set a bed for him there, and a table and a chair and a lampstand, and it shall be when he comes in that he can turn in there. One day he came, came there, and turned in the upper chamber and rested. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. And when he called her, she stood before him. He said to him, say now to her, behold, you have uh, been careful for us uh, with all this care. What can I do for you? I, I wonder if Elisha does not speak the same language as the Shunammite woman. Maybe Gehazi is a translator. Uh, but whatever the case, he's speaking through Gehazi. Uh, would you be uh, spoken for the king or the captain of the army? And she answered, I live among my people. So he said, well, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, truly she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when she, he called her, she stood in the doorway, and he said, at this season next year you will embrace a son. And she said, no, my lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Here she is, she wants a son. Now, there's economic reasons for that, I suppose, in, in some respects. You know, the story is careful to point out to us that her husband is old and she has no son. So in antiquity, if you're a woman, uh, you relied on your husband uh, for much of your care. You didn't have a lot of standing in any of the uh, communities of antiquity. Uh, and so you're just kind of left out in the cold if you didn't have anyone to care for you. And if you had children, it was your son's responsibility to do that. Well, she has no son. And there's no United States federal government, so there's no Medicare or Medicaid. Right? She has no one to care for her, no Social Security. But she wants a son. She needs a son. And so Elisha, or Elijah rather, by the power of God, is able to tell her, you're going to have a son this time next year. And sure enough, that comes about. Look at verse 18. 
When the child was grown, probably when he was weaned or when he was a, a, a young man, uh, a, a, a child, small child, uh, when the child was grown, the day came that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and, and said to his father, my head, my head. And he said to him, he, he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. Now, does that sound typical today? You know, kid comes out and he's all sick. Oh, go to your mother. I mean, that's what's going on here, right? Go see your mom. I don't care about your head. I don't know what to do about your head. Go see your mom. And so he goes to his mom. Verse 20, when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her lap until noon and then died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and return. I love the communication in this home. Uh, she doesn't necessarily say that the child is dead or died. Uh, we don't know. Maybe she's had that communication with him, and the, the Bible just doesn't cover that part of the, of the story. Uh, but she just leaves the, the child on the bed. Now think about what you would not otherwise do. Your child is sick. You have your child on your lap until noon, several hours. The way they calculated time is that went out in the morning, my head, my head to his dad, comes into the mom, sits on his lap till about noon. And then he dies. Now, if you're mom, what do you do? If you're mom, what do you do? Do you start mourning? Do you start crying? This woman did something that she otherwise might not do. She places a child on Elijah's bed. Then she sends for her husband and says, Hey, I need a couple servants to go with me. I need to go see the man of God. Okay? Uh, verse 23, he said, why will you go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, it will be well. Now, she doesn't tell him it's because the boy died. She just says, would you quit yakking and just give me the two servants? Verse 24, then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slow down the pace for me unless I tell you. So she went uh, from, to the man of God on Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her at a distance, she said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, uh, there he said to Gehazi, the servant, Behold, the Shunammite. Please run now and meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered, It is well. well it wasn't well. The child's dead. But you see, she's coming there because she knows the one chance to save her son has to do with this, this Elijah, this, this man of God. Now remember, she's not Jewish. She just knows that he has it in good with the Lord. Verse 27, she came to the man of God to the hill, and she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came near to push her away, but the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is troubled within her, and the Lord has hidden it from me, and he has not told me. Then she said, Did I, not, did I ask for a son for my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up your loins and take my staff in your hand and go away. Go your way. If you meet any man, do not salute him. If anyone salutes you, do not answer him. Lay my staff on the lad's neck, or the lad's face. The mother of the lad said, As the Lord lives and as you live, I will leave you. I will not leave you. And he arose and followed. So get this picture. He sends out Gehazi, his servant, his translator, and says, Just take my staff, go put it on the cheek of this child. 
But the mom is there. She's not leaving Elijah. The one who she has trust can do something to save her son, to heal her son, to raise up her son. Now, folks, the point of, I believe, the, New the Old Testament telling us this story is to talk about the faith of someone that's not a part of Israel in the time period when Israel was full of unfaithfulness. But it also tells something to us about motherhood, about how far a mother is willing to go to save her child, to care for her child, something she otherwise might not do. But you see, it's her child. It's her son. And sometimes it's tough being a mom. And probably nothing is tougher being a mom than seeing your child die. And so she stays there at the feet of Elijah until Gehazi goes and does what Elijah tells him to do, and the child is raised up, and they're able to restore the child to the family. But you see... She went to great lengths when she otherwise would not have. And that's her child. That's the love of a mother. That's what moms do. And moms do that for us in many ways in our lives. They seek to heal us when we have little snotty noses and allergies and runny noses and that sort of thing. They seek to heal us, heal us uh, when we get bad news because something we wanted in junior high or high school didn't come out the way we thought it would. They're there to care for us. And otherwise, they would not. They do things for us, like get up early in the morning and make us breakfast. They prepare all day for us. They care for us. And all of that are things that they otherwise would not do. Now think about Kimberly. And homeschooling two little punks, two little rascals, right? Who hate school, right? Adeline's the only one in the room that likes school probably. Right? And preparing lessons and getting those ready and spending so much time when she otherwise would not. And I know you can think about times when your mother did things for you when she otherwise would not. I'm sure my wife would rather be doing a hundred other things besides preparing school lessons. And I'm sure you can think about a hundred other things that you'd rather be doing moms in the room than the things that you do for your kids. We have some moms here that work and then come home. And probably do some more work, right? When otherwise they wouldn't. Wouldn't it be great if you could just go to Chick-fil-A every day on your way home? Probably get tired of Chick-fil-A. Might have to throw in some on the border or something and then, you know, mix it up every once in a while. Maybe, maybe a little bit of Olive Garden, I don't know. But you see, when you have other responsibilities, other people that you're caring for, you do things that you otherwise would not do. And that's moms. So how do we honor Mom, I want us to think in the few minutes that we have left about how we honor mom. And of course, uh, the first passage that comes to our mind is Ephesians chapter 6. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. The first thing that we ought to do for mom is obey mom. But you know, obedience is different than honor. Did you notice that, did you notice that Paul says in verse 1, obey? But then he says in verse 2, honor. I can obey my mom and then go right out beside the room and think, I can't believe that woman. She wants me to do X, Y, or Z. She's crazy. I can go and tell my friends, oh, my mom is so mean. She's so ridiculous with all these things she wants me to do. She asked me to thank my dad. So ridiculous. That's not honoring your mom. When you're an adult, you honor your mom. And maybe this morning you sent flowers to your mom, or you sent a card to your mom, or you called your mom, you did something to say, Mom, I appreciate you. That's honoring your mom. Now, some of us were talking before class about this just being a commercial holiday. Yeah, it probably is. There's a few folks that are making some money this morning because it's Mother's Day. But there's something to be said for a tradition that says we're going to honor mom because of what mom has done, because of what mom has done that she otherwise might not do. I want us just quickly to look at a couple other passages in the Old Testament uh, just to get the attention of our youngsters in the room, primarily. Exodus chapter 21, verses 15 and 16. Exodus chapter 21, verses 15. Exodus chapter 21, verses 15 and 17. Exodus 21, verse 15 says, He who strikes his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Verse 17 says, Joseph, whoever curses his mother shall surely be put to death. Exodus 21. Did you notice that in, in, in the Old Testament that uh, if, if you struck your parent, if you hit your parent, if you cursed your parent, you were to be put to death. And sometimes as, as kids today, uh, we think, man, if I, if I sass my parent, you know, what are they going to do? Or, or this person's uh, ridiculous. You know, in Old Testament times, you could lose your life. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 and 3. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Everyone shall reverence his mother and his father and you shall keep my Sabbaths for I am the Lord your God. Moses ties together, God ties together the idea of holiness with reverencing your parents. Reverencing your parents. Not just begrudgingly saying, oh, okay, if you want me to take out the trash, I'll take out the trash. But I think it's dumb they've got to take out the trash. Somebody else could take out the trash. Why don't you take out the trash? That's not reverencing. That's why we teach our kids, or I hope we teach our kids, to say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, and, and be respectful of your parents. Why, because they're older than I am? No. Because of all the stuff they do for you. Because they're the ones that brought you into the world. Kaza would say, I don't want to take out. <laughs> but we reverence them. That's not a dad talking. That's the father talking. That's how we treat our parents. That's how we honor them. 
this may just be a commercial day for many in this world. There may be some florists making some money this morning. There may be some Hallmark cards being sold this weekend, and that's okay. It's important for us to honor moms because it's tough being a mom. And we need to recognize the love that she has for us in doing things she otherwise might not do because she's our mom. If you're here this morning and you have any special requests, any needs that you want the church to be aware of, if you need to be united with Jesus in baptism, whatever you need, won't you come? Together we stand and sing.